Well, we will be once again in the Gospel of Mark tonight. You see, we are in our sixth study tonight. Session six is all about grace. So for those of you that maybe haven't been with us through the whole series, what we're doing is we're having some discussions, looking at Christianity with brand new eyes. Now, what's been really encouraging to me is I just got to have a conversation with someone just this week who has been here sometimes in person, has been here sometimes through virtual, and they told me that they've had questions about Christianity, and they've been joining the study all along and finding answers to some of those questions. That's a blessing, right? I mean, that's what this has been all about, and you all have been super encouraging because you've been participating every week. We've had some really good discussions, so it's kind of sad we're coming to the last few weeks of this, but um, hopefully as you've read through the Gospel of Mark and this is equipping those of us who already are believers to better communicate our faith to people who are, um, who are skeptical or people that are just unsure, but they're open to the gospel. That's been the purpose of this. It's to, uh, to answer questions for those who have questions, and then for those of us who we think we know the story, to kind of go back and look at it all over again. So that's what we're doing. So tonight... Uh, last week we saw, if you see the summary sentence here, last week we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. We've, we've looked at Jesus' identity. We've looked at uh, the, what sin is all about. We looked at the cross. We've looked at the resurrection. And now this week we look at grace. Grace, what a wonderful thing. So let's, um, let's see the opening text tonight. It's going to be in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse number 13 to start our discussion off. So Mark 10. Verse number 13, and let's begin the conversation here. I think I'm, I'm working. Did you do that or did I do it? You did it? All right, so I'm going to just trust you. So there we go. So it says in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse number 13, and they brought young children to him. Now, obviously, that's they're talking about bringing children to Jesus. So it says in Mark 10, 13, they brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them. So you imagine in the scene with me? What a, what a great scene. I just loved it because for the last three weeks, we've been just all about reaching children. So I was, did I, I, if you all didn't hear the story, the little girl that we sang happy birthday to, she was the one, Amy, you were there when she said she didn't think she was going to be able to come to Sunday school. And she didn't think she'd be allowed. We started to talk about God. She said, she said, well, I've never been to a church. So can you talk, you can talk to God? And we were just like, I was choking up. I don't know how you were doing. Me and Deborah were just like, <laughs> we were, and she, she's been every week. Last week, what did the kids say? Did you hear those kids get on the van last week? They said, they said, I want to go to church every day. <laughs> the kiddo said. So it's been awesome to see. And I just, it's cool that we're looking at a passage tonight about children. So, um, In your class? Soaking it in. It's, it's, it's amazing. So praise the Lord. So, and it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. So if you can help, get involved, because we're going we're gonna to keep at it. All right. Back to the, back to the lesson tonight. We're talking about grace. It, and the picture is children. They brought young children to Jesus that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. What are these kids doing here? I don't know about that. Now, next verse, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, 
and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, that's a key, key statement there. He says, let them come. Allow them to come. This is, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Verily, verse 15, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Put his arms, put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. So as we look at this, I, the first question, if you were to look back at the at the very first, the very first verse, verse 13, it says back in verse number 13 that they brought young children to him. Who would you assume are the ones bringing the young children? Who, go ahead, what was that? It's their parents. Now, now let me ask you this. Why, why do you think, if you were, if you could put yourself in everything we've been studying, if you were back then, what is it that makes these parents want to bring their children to Jesus? What is it? Frank? So they love their children. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. What else? Huh? I can't hear you. His love. So they picked up on that. You were going to say something? Yeah. Yeah, there's something going on, and they don't want... Do you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at that, that account where the, the one child, we've had children healed, we had a child raised from the dead in, in Jesus' ministry? It's amazing. So why the parents? Yeah, Katie. Well, that's, that's what this class is all about. Yeah. Right. You want that for them. Yeah. And it's like children have to be taught not to believe in God, don't they? Like children, they, they want to. I mean, they it's it, in us. It's like you're saying God has put God has put a consciousness of us in us. It's part, of, it's part of being human. It's to know that there is a God. And so what happens, though, is sin, our sin and our choices, it brings us away from that. And, and so Jesus says this here. So people, they want to bring them to Jesus. Now, the second conversation here, we're not told why the disciples rebuked those who brought their children to Jesus. What do you think is going on with... Uh, at the end of this verse here, the disciples are like, get the kids out of here. What are you doing? 
Like, what, what are they doing here? What's going on there? Somebody else, somebody new, maybe. What, what is going on? What's going on in that part there? All right, somebody not new. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah? That's actually true. You're right. Back in these times, the, the, it, it wasn't like today. People were like, they had this very clear social order. So people's view of children, it wasn't that they didn't love their children, but it was like, how many of you grew up with the children are seen and not heard? Oh, the, you know, that was like a few generations ago. Um, depending on your family, children are seen. I got some smiles around the room. Children are seen, not heard. We kind of flipped that around maybe a little too much. But anyway, anyway, moving, moving along. That was like a mentality that was, you think it was like that in American culture, go back to this culture, and it was children are you know, barely seen and never heard, right? So I think you're right. I think it's this like kids, what are they doing here? So now remember, we're talking about grace. So what's happening is Jesus is going to flip the whole conversation because the people that they think shouldn't be there, um, he's about to show, no, this is exactly who should be here. What else? Any other quick thoughts? I don't want to take too much time. But any other thoughts on what's going on with the disciples here? Well, they're so like, no, you guys can't. Anybody? Their self-importance? Right. They don't, want to, they don't want to spend their time with kids. Like They want to be at the front. They want to lead the armies, and they want to be in charge and all this. And now you know, we're spending all these time with children. So that's their attitude. But now, number three here on the front of your handout, the, at the bottom, it said, if you notice in the next verse, in verse 14, it says he was, in the King James Version, it says he was much displeased. The idea here is he is indignant. I mean, he is angry with them. He is not just upset. He is, Jesus is very upset with the disciples' attitude. Very upset that they would have this attitude. Um, are you surprised by this, by Jesus' response? We, we, those of you that know the stories of Jesus, Jesus, can, Jesus could be angry about some things, couldn't he? Now, never an out-of-control anger like you and I experience, but when things weren't right, Jesus could get, like, a, a, there's a couple things that clearly Jesus was very serious about. One was the children, see here, and there was another, there's another episode, it actually happened twice, the same thing, where we see this side of Jesus. Yeah, in the temple. So if you make church or the temple all about money, Jesus gets, I mean, he, he threw the tables over. He's like, that's not what this is about. And if you did anything to the children, boy, isn't it interesting that we've seen those problems in the church today. We've seen churches that become all about money, and then we've seen terrible abuse situations in churches. Two things that, make, that displease Jesus more than anything at all. Oh, or, I said that wrong. You know what I mean now. So, Jesus is very, very upset with this attitude. Now, if you turn to the inside, let's go on to number four. Now, look at verse 14 and 15 again. The last statement in verse 14. It's right here on the screen. What is that, that very last statement? Forbid them not. Why? Let's read that last statement together. Ready? For of such is the kingdom of God. So let's paraphrase that. Looking at the kids, Jesus says, these 
are what the kingdom is, is like. These children are what the kingdom is like. And he says in verse 15, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. So let's ask this question. It says in, in verse and point number four inside, how do we know that Jesus isn't just talking? How do, how do we know Jesus isn't just talking about actual children belonging to the kingdom? You understand the question there? Like, is he saying that the kingdom of God is just made up of kids? Is that his point? How do we know that? What's he saying? Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's looking now, so he sees the kids and he hugs them and holds them and does all that, and then he looks at the adults in the room, or outside most likely. He looks at them and he says, hey, you all, if you want to see heaven, if you want to see God, you have to have faith like a child. You have to have faith like a child. And verse 16, and then he finishes this beautiful scene by taking them up in his arms, puts his hands on them, and he blesses them. He blesses them. These little children did nothing to earn acceptance by Jesus. All they did was come to him. What do you think the significance of that is for our entrance into the kingdom of God? Like Brittany said, childlike faith. So somebody unpacked that a little bit in very simple terms. What does it mean? These children, what did they do to deserve? They hadn't done anything. They believed. You're 100% correct. They simply believed. Now, as we go to the second half of the talk tonight, this is what grace is all about. Because most people's view of religion is, or in Christianity is, what do we have to do? Tell me what to do. How many prayers do I say? You know, how many times do I have to go to church? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And the children did nothing. They simply believed. And that is what the kingdom of God is about. That's what true Christianity is all about. So, now, let's take a few minutes and we're going to listen to our friend Rico. For those of you here for the first time, Rico is our friend from the United Kingdom who is the, uh, there's a, a video series that goes with these lessons. And um, we're going to, we watch a 10, or, 10 to 15 minute video uh, for the rest of it. That way you all get a break from me because you need that every now and then. So are we ready to go? Let's do it. You can open your eyes now. So, what do you think? How much do I owe you? If God were to say to you, why should I give you eternal life? What would you say? 
and that's why you should give me eternal life. The man we read about in Mark chapter 10 is very much like that. He's what you might call a good person. Two other writers in the Bible tell us about the same event, and together with Mark, they help us build up a picture of what this man was like. Matthew tells us the man was young. Luke adds the detail that he was a ruler of some kind, and it's clear from Mark that he was rich, morally upright, spiritually minded, and very religious. So he has everything going for him. He's young, he's rich, and he's powerful, and those who know him think of him as a good man. He would have been very well respected. He's exactly the sort of person many of us would like to be. But there's also a vulnerability about him. He runs up to Jesus and falls on his knees, which in my experience is typically not something rich people do, and asks Jesus a question. And it's the most important question anyone could ask. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit eternal life is another way of saying enter the kingdom of God or have treasure in heaven or be saved. All these phrases are used in Mark 10 to mean a similar thing. The overwhelming joy of being forgiven and accepted by God himself, free to enjoy him forever in this life and the life to come. What must I do, says the man, to get that? How can I be good enough? Jesus asks a question straight back. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Jesus offers the man a reality check. How good is good enough for God? We tend to think of ourselves as basically good because we usually only compare ourselves to other people. It's easy to puff ourselves up like a balloon if we only see ourselves in relation to certain people on TV or people we don't like. But Jesus is saying, if you want to know who really deserves to be called good, who really deserves to inherit eternal life, try comparing yourself to God, who alone is perfectly just, perfectly wise, perfectly pure, and perfectly loving. Then you'll get a sense of how good you really are. But the man doesn't get it. So Jesus continues. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. If God were to say to this man, why should I give you eternal life? That's the answer the man would give. I've kept all your commands since I was a boy. But has he? Jesus gently and lovingly gives this man a second reality check. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Has the man really kept all the commands? Is he even keeping what Jesus calls the first and most important command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? To see if he really does love God like that, Jesus tests the man with a challenge. Give your money away. It reminds me of the famous story. A robber goes up to a rich man, points a gun at him and says, your money or your life. But the rich man says nothing. So the robber shouts louder. I'm not kidding, 
your money or your life? And the man says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Money or life, it should be a no-brainer. But what will the rich man choose? At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Faced with the choice between keeping his money or gaining eternal life, this man chooses money. The fact that he walks away from Jesus at this point shows that although he thinks of himself as a good person, in reality, money is more important to him than God. It also shows that he didn't see the danger he was in. If the building you're in is on fire, you don't stop to fill your hands with your valuables. Your life is more important than that. I wonder what it would be for us. What is the one thing you would not be willing to let go of in order to gain the eternal life that Jesus offers? Our answer to that question reveals how far we are from good and how far we are from God. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's impossible. The disciples are amazed because money was seen as a blessing from God. They understood it to mean that God was pleased with a person. But Jesus is saying that even a morally upright, thoroughly religious, politically powerful, exceedingly wealthy young man can never do enough good things to get to heaven. Those good deeds are all just a lot of hot air. Why? Because nothing we do, nothing we are can change the fact that deep down all of us have a serious heart problem that separates us from God. As we've already seen, Jesus exposes the real state of our hearts when he says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It is what we are, deep down, at the very core of our being. When I was young, I went on a rugby tour, and while we were traveling, I got this awful skin disease, which made my face look not unlike a cheese and tomato pizza. So I started putting band-aids on my face, little sticky plasters to cover up these horrible sores that made people sick at the sight of me. Now the plasters helped to cover up the fact that something was wrong with me, but of course, they were powerless to cure the disease. For that, the doctor had to prescribe some industrial strength antibiotics to get at the infection deep in my bloodstream. In the same way, the things we do to try and make ourselves good enough are like sticking plasters or band-aids. They may cover up the fact that there's a problem deep down in our hearts. They may make other people think we're pretty good people. We may even fool ourselves. But the things we do are completely powerless to cure the problem of our sin. Any answer that begins, God, you should give me eternal life because I, any answer which places confidence in anything you are or anything you have done will not be of any use. Again, let me say as clearly as I can that according to Jesus, 
these things will do you no good at all when it comes to inheriting eternal life. If you're putting your trust in any of these things, please don't, because you've been misled. Now, it's not that these are bad things to do. They're very good things to do. But they become bad if we're trusting in them to earn eternal life for us, if we're using them to try and justify ourselves in God's eyes. Jesus' words quickly bring the rich young man down to earth. Regardless of how moral or good we think we are, we fail to obey even the very first command, the most important command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Like the man, our hearts love other things more, and that is what separates us from God. The disciples understand immediately that this leaves all of us in a desperate situation. If a rich man can't make it into the kingdom of God, then who on earth can? The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus' answer is devastating. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. In other words, there are some things we will never deserve, can never earn, and should never even try to pay for. But that doesn't mean we can't receive it as a gift from God. Jesus continues, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So how can anyone inherit eternal life if there is nothing we can do to inherit it? Strangely enough, if the rich young man had arrived only a short while earlier, he would have heard Jesus answer exactly that question. Immediately before this encounter, Jesus meets some people who are the opposite of the rich young man. Where he has material things, they have nothing. Where he is well respected, they are overlooked. He has power, but they are so weak they have to be brought to Jesus. And where he walks away sadly from Jesus, they cling to him. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. By speaking of little children, Jesus isn't saying we have to be naive or gullible to inherit the kingdom of God, and he isn't talking about innocence or purity here. Having been one myself, innocence is not a quality I'd associate with a little child. The quality that little children have that Jesus commends is their dependency. They depend on someone else to do everything for them because they know they can do nothing for themselves. All they can do is throw out their arms and cry for help. Small children don't try and pay for their meals or a place to sleep or the love that their parents show them because they can't. They have no way of paying. They're totally dependent, so they receive all of it as a gift. Now all this makes the message of Jesus very different from other religions. Other faiths say if you do certain things and don't do other things, then God will accept you. But Jesus tells us that that is simply not true. Because the problem of the human heart is so serious, the only way we can ever hope to be accepted by God is if he reaches out to us, 
pays the price for our sin himself, and then offers us forgiveness as a gift. And that is exactly what happened when he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the opposite, God's punishment. And yet Jesus took that punishment on our behalf so that all those who put their trust in him would be freely forgiven. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, says Jesus, if you want to experience the overwhelming joy of being forgiven and accepted by God himself, welcomed into the intimacy of his own family, free to enjoy him forever, in this life and the life to come, if you want that, the only way to do it is to accept it as a child would accept it, knowing you have no way of earning it or deserving it, content simply to receive it joyfully as a gift. All we can do is come to him, not with hands filled with all the things we have done, but with empty hands, ready to receive what God has done. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus took upon himself all our sin, so that we might take upon ourselves his righteousness. When God looks at us, if we've put our trust in Jesus, he sees the perfect obedience, the perfect righteousness of his Son. And that is grace. God offering us a righteousness we don't deserve, cannot earn, and shouldn't try to pay for. It's something that must simply be received. It's not a reward. It's a gift. Paid for by God himself. When someone who doesn't know you tells you you're valuable, it might be nice, but that feeling won't last very long. When a spouse or a best friend who knows you well tells you how precious you are to them, it means the world. But when the creator of the universe, who knows your heart inside out, shows you that he would die for you, it changes everything. It shows that although we're more sinful than we ever realized, we're more loved than we ever dreamed. It means we no longer need to pretend we're something we're not because God knows all about our hearts and still loves us anyway. It also means we're freed from the slavery of constantly trying to get our sense of value from all the places we usually try to get it. Money or power, religiousness or career, good looks or the approval of others. The reason we look to those things for our sense of self-worth is because we're not receiving it from God. But when you come to Jesus, you understand just how valuable you are to God. When you look at the cross, it's as if Jesus is saying, this is what it costs to earn that gift for you. This is how serious your sin really is. And this is how much I love you anyway. We are more sinful than we ever realized, but more loved than we ever dreamed. And that is the gift your Creator is holding out to you now. Come to me with empty hands, says Jesus. There's something I want you to have. We just ask very simply tonight, as we think about that, the, the two really polar opposites all here in 
Mark chapter 10, little children and a very rich man. But they both have the same need. We all have the same need, and that is to be forgiven. It's eternal life. It's everything that we just watched about. So the, the wealthy man, the rich young man, he had a very important question. And that was, if you let me paraphrase it a little bit, basically he's saying, when I die, I want to be sure that I'm going to heaven. When I die, yes, I need help in this life right now, but the moment I, my heart stops, the moment I stop breathing, will I be in heaven? He tried to earn it. He tried to be good enough. He tried all those things. That's what religion teaches us. Religion, in, in its very formal sense, says do, 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 all those signs, all those cards that we saw. Jesus says, come. Now, we have to come admitting that we did wrong. That's important. We looked at that in previous weeks. We have to be willing to say, I don't deserve this. I don't just deserve to be forgiven. But you love me so much. So let me ask you this. Whether you're in here tonight or you're watching this, are you sure? Like if you, if you died, are you completely sure that you would go to heaven, that you're forgiven? You say, well, I hope so. I, I, I think I might. I, I hope. But are you sure? I'd encourage you to do this. If there's any doubt in your mind, if there's any doubt in your mind, would you make this moment the moment where just between you and God, no religious ceremony or anything, just you and God, where you bow your heart, you bow your eyes, you just pray something like this. You just say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve it. But I ask you to save me. I can't do it on my own, but I ask you to save me. Do that right now. And I, I, there's no magic words. It's the, it's, the, it's the heart. If your heart is, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for being a sinner. If that's your heart, and you'd say, I can't do anything else but believe in Jesus. If you would do that right now, the Bible says that whoever believes in Christ has eternal life. It's a promise. So with our heads bowed now and our eyes closed, I'm going to finish with a prayer. And if you can say this with a sincere heart, if you can say this with a sincere heart, I'd ask you to pray it silently with me. Just say, Dear God, Dear God, I know that I've broken your law. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. But I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. And I accept him the gift of salvation. I believe in you alone, Jesus. My faith is in you. If you did that right now, and you meant it from your heart, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not about us, not about what we do, but about what Jesus did. If tonight you made that decision, if tonight you said, you know what, I wasn't sure, but I made sure tonight, I'd love for you to let me know. Would you just tell me after the service, you just say, Ethan, I, tonight I made sure I was trusting Jesus. If you're watching this on the live stream, would you just send a quick message and 
we'll keep it private. But I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to help you grow in faith. Just let me know. Say, yes, tonight I made sure. Put my faith in Christ. Let's, let's all pray together. Dear Lord, I, I thank you that we've had this time tonight. Lord, I thank you for the great love that you have for us. Lord, I thank you that I heard about it when I was a child, and as a child, I was able to trust you. God, thank you for how you work in our hearts. I just pray that if there is anyone that's, that's still struggling with whether or not to put their faith in you, God, please help them make that decision. Help them to put their trust in you and you alone. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.